the badge of honor of this workaholism, of this kill yourself and sacrifice yourself at martyrdom. The, at the alt at martyrdom, at, martyrdom. The, at the altar of money. We covet martyrdom at the altar of money. What is financial sobriety? Well, first, I'm Jim Gebhardt. Oh, I'm Matthew Grishman. That's good. We should introduce ourselves. And this podcast is all going to be about three relationships that really, when you stop and you think about them, you don't think they go together. But it's your relationship you have with money. It's a relationship you have with people who mean the most to you. And ultimately, the relationship you have with yourself. So I might imagine that those three relationships are somewhat wrapped together. That when one gets a little out of whack, perhaps it has an effect on the others. Stick around and you'll find out. So you were telling me about a text that started off with my first name. Well, your first name. Hey, yes. Matthew. Hey, Matthew. No, just Matthew. Oh, just Matthew. No, hey. So, okay. So let's pick this apart for a second. This is kind of interesting. So this is somebody that you have their contact information. They're in your phone. Yes. And I have a personal relationship with them. And you have a personal relationship with them. Yes. Like someone who knows that Matthew is spelled with two T's and not one. So when I see one of those in my text inbox. Matthew. Jim. In your case. Dash. Right. Message. Right? Yeah. This is somebody that I know, that I have relationship with. Right. It automatically makes me pause. Old me would have been, uh-oh, I'm being called to the principal's office. <laughs> I'm, I'm in trouble if, you know, two of my siblings went to Catholic parochial school. That would have been the nun wrapping them on the knuckle with the ruler, which... That did happen to both of them multiple times. They were pulled by the ear, which my brother always used to say was part of the reason he couldn't hear in the one ear. Ah. I was spared that. I went to public school, uh, to Cumps Elementary, as you might recall. Yes, thankfully. You and Megan Kelly nappin' uh, together right. in kindergarten. Megan. Good on you. Good on you. Whatever you're up to today, you should have us on your show. <laughs> so it always makes me pause because I'm like, uh-oh. That was old me. It was, uh-oh. Now I read them, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. Like they're using my first name, almost like my mother, James Christopher. You get in. Right? I've got a little bit of that scar tissue, but now it's like, it's like, ooh, what, Jim, and then the message goes. So your expectation has changed from you're getting called to the principal's office to now where you're getting a cookie or even better, a treat, a, a winning lottery ticket. It's generally probably going to be either a personal request like a personal question or a personal request for help on something or gratitude thingy. Or lately, thanks to the show, it's been something podcast-related. Like I really, Jim, I really found episode 64 to be blah, 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 blah. In other words, what you're saying is anytime somebody used to use your name in a message, you got the sense a withdrawal is about to be taken. And now you get the sense that a deposit is about to be made. What a nice way to tie this into financial sobriety. <laughs> you like that? Look at you, money man. I've gotten good at that. Look at you. Right? There's Look finally at you, something big I'm man. finally something I'm good. Big man, me the big man. <laughs> finally something I'm good at. I was so proud of that. There you go. Well, that is interesting. And I do want to read this text message to you because it speaks to the last couple of episodes that we've had and the impact that those last couple of episodes had. So this is from our dear friend, Vicki. Vicki is a longtime listener and a longtime friend. And Vicki sent me this text message this morning, which I'm, I'm just really grateful for. Thank you for this, Vicki. Matthew, I just finished listening to part two of the latest podcast with David Woods Bartley. Wow! Exclamation. 
Such an emotional and enlightening podcast that I felt to my core. As sad and heartbroken as I feel over the loss of my dad, it is definitely the human connection from family, friends, coworkers, and even customers that I interact with that helps me through the really sad times. You and Jim outdid yourselves with this one. Thank you for what you gentlemen do. I hope you're doing well. I love seeing the recent beautiful family photo post. Keep on doing what you're doing. You're touching lives in such a positive way. Vicki. I mean, we nailed it. We, we really did. I, I think in the last episode, as it relates to what's going on in the world today and what the simplest solution to help us be able to detach from the outcomes we have absolutely no control over, but detach in a way that we get to put the focus on healing ourselves, on not feeling so detached from the world, so overwhelmed, so dark, so sad, so heavy all the time. The key is hope. Hope is found through connection. And connection not as in I'm up on all the crazy social media, whatever is going on. Right. Or whatever the media media, megalomedia machine has got going on. Right. But human connection. Absolutely. Actual interaction with another human being. Heart-based connection. Yes. Conversation that's going back and forth, not one-way stuff like you said, sitting there watching the news and sitting there on on your favorite social media platform having one-way conversations. I'm talking about an interactive dialogue like what you and I do when we come into the studio. I love the fact that you and I get to sit here and have a conversation with each other where we get to talk with one another, where we get to feel with one another. I mean, the amount of emotion that you felt in our conversation with David. And oh, just, yeah, and I, and, was, just, and I was trying to hold it back because otherwise it was Niagara Falls. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you just let that be and you let Jeff and David and myself be a participant in those feelings with you, not just spectators, but an actual participant where we felt what you were feeling. Like David said, I want to feel with you. I don't want to just feel your feelings. I want to feel with you. Yeah. I mean, he, he put that whole empathy concept in a real, Ooh. like, in the moment, present, what's going on now, action, like a verb, not a noun, but, you know, what we do, not how we feel, not how we be, but what we do. It's just really cool to, to be here and to be able to do that together and to be able to listen to what you have to say and digest it and take it in and reflect on it. And then to be able to share my feelings about it. I mean, that, that connection, what we're doing here, the whole purpose of this show is to model for our family, for our friends, for our clients, for our community, what that connection looks like. Not just talking about it, but modeling it and, and acting it out and actually doing it while we're here. That, to me, is the gift of what we're doing here. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Boom, boom. What are you grateful for today? Oh, I don't know. Gratitude. I know it's harder these days. No, it's it's really. Or is it easier these days? It's easier these days. Okay. First of all, our, our dear friends at Calm, the morning Calm app 10-minute guided meditation was on gratitude. Today. today. Yeah, I haven't listened to today's. Today. Gratitude is one of those things that is usually very, very present for me in in the phase of life that I'm in right now where there's a lot of chaos has mostly to do with the health and well-being of my parents mm-hmm. 3,000 miles away, it's easy to get distracted from gratitude. But then what I'm realizing is some of the simplest moments, like on Memorial Day, I called my folks, and I get a big kick out of the fact that at 96 years old, my dad prefers using his iPhone. Over what? Over a a landline. Over a landline. Ah, nice. 
Now, it has its challenges. He has, I got him the newest, most recent 13 or whatever it is. So the home button's gone and he's got to swipe and the volume. And I mean, it definitely has its challenges. Yeah. So I call him and we have a nice conversation. And my parents are now in the same nursing home in adjoining rooms. So they're spending a lot of finally, finally, and that, how, how that also has its pluses and minuses. Yeah. But it's been two and a half years of mom being in skilled nursing, and now dad's reached the point where he needs that level of care as well. But he passes the phone to my mom, and she gets very confused with the phone in terms of is it on speaker? Do I put it up to my ear? Anyway, she got it right this time, hmm. and my gratitude today is simply her greeting, which was, what's cooking, good looking? <laughs> this is from my 89-year-old dear blessed mother who is at a stage of life where she really can't do much for herself anymore, but her spirit is as joyous and youthful as probably anybody I know. She doesn't complain. That's awesome. And what's cooking, good looking. That caught me by complete surprise and has put a smile on my face for three days. So that's my gratitude today because it, it's sometimes in those simplest little moments where, you know, it doesn't need to be something big and grandiose. That was it. It's carried forward with me for a couple of days. That's awesome. How about you? Whew. What am I grateful for? Boy, I'm, I'm just trying to stick to the simple things because gratitude has been harder. I am uh, I'm grateful for the beautiful blue sky this morning. I am grateful for being able to water all the plants on my deck this morning. No, 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 no. You can't be grateful for that. I can't? No. Why not? We don't have any water. Oh. <laughs> That's true. Unless it's water from like Missouri or New York or Connecticut we or Maine. We shipped it in. Right. We, so I'm grateful that we shipped water in from Missouri. Okay. And, and use that to water our plants in the backyard today. So I hand water all of our little vegetables that we have up on the deck. Amy did a, a beautiful job planting all of these different vegetables and fruits. We have strawberries and tomatoes and squash and all this cool stuff on our deck in pots. And Amy's had some health challenges lately and, and had to go through a surgery here. So it's kind of fallen on me to do a lot of the watering of the plants and a lot of the stuff around the house. And, you know, that's not something I used to be grateful to do. But there so was, you've let all the staff go? I let all the staff go, and, mm -hmm. and I'm doing things on my own. You know, financial sobriety, we're shaving ounces, we're doing all the right things. Right. And I've started to fall in love with this little morning ritual of watering my flowers and my plants. I've just, I've become grateful for that. It's with wonderful. Mi with Missouri water. With Missouri water. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. And I'm also grateful for the people who are in our life. I'm always grateful for the people in our life. I'm so incredibly grateful that we met David, David Woods Bartley, who was in studio with us a while back, and we got to have a really intimate conversation with him. I met him through the whole TEDx experience. And just the gratitude that I have for people who show up in our lives who I feel this instant connection with, and it just it fits incredibly well with, with what we're trying to do here on the show, to have somebody like David show up into our lives and have the conversation we had with him at a time when you and I are talking about risk and, and being able to have a conversation about mental health and the risk of mental health in this current environment and how not only we are at risk of experiencing mental health challenges, but the people we love and the people that are around us and how to be supportive of them when they're experiencing 
mental health challenges. So I just I, I've got we a have lot so of gratitude. Much, we have so much training in that area, right? I mean, absolutely. Yeah, whether whether you're pros, uh, a, you know, a child, an adolescent, a young adult, an adult, and a senior adult. The only way you get any training for this is on the job training. Absolutely. Life. There's no manual. There's no rule book. Maybe you studied it and that's your profession today. And sure. you're a clinical psychologist or a therapist or a psychiatrist. But the rest of it, it's all OJT. On the job training. Yeah. Yeah. OJT. OJT. I'm always so blown away at the fact that people have almost forgotten that we went through a two-year period of complete and utter isolation. We went through a year where we really couldn't leave our houses, right? Right. Whether it was mandated or not, obviously we're in the 50 states that represent the United States. There were varying philosophies on that, and I experienced some of that having traveled to Texas and traveled to Florida during that period in the pandemic and how that was treated relative to here in California. And I'm not trying to make this a political conversation. What I am trying to emphasize is that we cannot forget the isolation that we've all gone through. Well, you and I are making it a point not to forget because of the impact it's had on the risk conversation. The isolation that we went through for a year puts an additional layer of risk in the conversation based on how we're treating ourselves, how we're interacting with our people, and how we're interacting with our money. When we've spent the last two years in virtual isolation, the behaviors that that isolation is creating in my life, the choices that I'm making, the choices that you're making, the choices that we're seeing other people make, is creating more risk-based behavior. That's part of the reason why I so appreciated David and David Woods Bartley in our last two episodes talking about the importance of the self-care. Yeah. And that it is selfless to be working on your self-care, not selfish, and whatever that is for you, right? And you and I have our own guiding principles for that. But that, in terms of how do you mitigate the risk? Well, one of the ways you mitigate the risk is you take better care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And in the context of financial sobriety, that might be doing things and spending money in ways that you are uncomfortable with. And you and the proverbial you, not you, Matthew Grishman. But well, you can make it me, Matthew Grishman, because th this is the journey that you and I have been on. I have used my money in ways that has not been natural to me or comfortable for me using it to, to be able to put the emphasis on self-care. Right. It's been a muscle that has not come naturally to me. It's a muscle that hasn't come naturally to you. No. Being able to give ourselves permission, first is the giving yourself permission to be able to use your financial resources to support self-care. But then there's the other side of that coin, which is we have a zero-sum game here, right? You have a certain amount of money that comes in every month. I have a certain amount of money that comes in every month. Yeah, but you have that tree in the backyard you've always told I, me about. I do have a money tree, but yeah. it hasn't bore fruit in a while. Oh. I haven't been watering it as well because now you know, we don't have, well, we don't have any water, and what we get from Missouri has got to go, go to the deck. It goes to the deck, right. not the money tree. Not the money tree, right. So it's a little bare. We have to start figuring out by getting clear on what's most important to us what we say no to so that we can say yes to the self-care, right? And, that, and that's a big part of what this risk conversation is all about is, is helping people flush out priorities, what's most important to them. We've spent lots of time discussing the Clarity Compass exercise and how useful that's been both to us personally and our, our private clients. We're going to spend more time with that this summer with our Teach Your Children series and, and Teach Your Family series. And 
just really understanding as a family, how do you value money? But getting clear on what you value and being able to shift how you use your money and your relationship with money towards self-care is so much of what we're trying to do in our own personal life. So when you say you, that's okay that you direct that at me because it does apply to me. It does. It, I have to and, – and, and this is not something that I can just do once and move on and forget about. I have to give myself permission every day because it doesn't come natural to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm over that hurdle. Oh, I, nice. I'm, yeah, over I'm that, not. I'm over that hurdle. I got to do it every morning. Every morning I've got to set an intention that I've got to put myself first today. And I've got to be okay with using some of my financial resources to do that, whether that's taking the time to eat healthy today, whether that's taking the time to take a nap if I get tired later today, whether it's use some money to get some food when I'm hungry. I think I said that already. You did. Yeah. It's okay. Maybe I need more caffeine. Well, perhaps it's going to Starbucks and spending $3 or $4 on a cup of coffee today. The concept of self-care, I just, I don't think it comes naturally to anybody. No. It's not how it we're is wired. Not, it is not a natural wiring that we have. As a result of that, you're going to spend time developing this muscle, developing this self-care muscle. And I do think a very important sentence that you said is that it is a zero-sum game. This is not permission to spend recklessly, right? right? And to go to some fancy five-day spa and blow it out on on something that you can't afford. It's, it's a redirect, right? You have so much coming in. And this is the exercise. Get the piece of paper, the crayon, the lipstick on the mirror, whatever it is to figure out. You've got so much coming in. You have fixed expenses. You have variable expenses. Hopefully, there's leftover. If there isn't, then you've got to make some hard choices. Yep. And that then will give you the permission to be able to spend money on self-care. And even with that, there's got to be some thought and intention behind it. But I am definitely over that hurdle of recognizing that if I don't take better care of myself, I can't run the miles. And in the context of a thoroughbred horse, they've got to be they've got to be very well taken care of in order to run the, the miles at the speed at which they're supposed to, right? And we've talked about it on so many different shows, but that that badge of honor that we have in this country, the badge of honor of this workaholism, of this Kill yourself and sacrifice yourself at martyrdom. the martyrdom at the altar of money. We covet martyrdom at the altar of money. That drives me crazy because I see what it's done to loved ones in my family mm-hmm. where there was no conscious awareness around self-care and they burned themselves out. Mm-hmm. I see it with very dear friends that I think of as family today where they burn themselves out. There's some self-care, but the governor is off the golf cart, right? They're going at a pace that is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Back in my days when I, I worked for the big company, when I worked for Snoopy, we had a division at MetLife called the Mature Markets Institute. They were basically a think tank within the organization. It was almost like within— What? Stop. Yeah. Stop. What the hell is a think tank? Uh, I've heard this so many times in my life. I've I've had enough. Yeah. So what? It sounds like a bunch of privileged people <laughs> that have no sense of reality that are on the forty fourth floor of an ivory tower, that just get to ponder. Well, in essence, that is part of the job. Only this group at MetLife was not in the forty fourth floor of a building. They were in Westport, Connecticut, in a little two story building, 
And their job was to not ponder it first, but their job was to go out and talk to America. Their job was to go out and talk to people like you and me and your mom and dad and my mom and dad and Jeff and his family and all the people that you and I know and talk to them about things like what you and I talk about. What keeps you up at night about money? What does financial security look like to you? And they have all these discussions with people about money and finance and what keeps them up at night and what they're worried about. And they gather all of that data and they bring it back to the actuaries and all the product people at MetLife and go, here's what everybody's worried about. Now go build something that fixes it. And uh, do they still exist today? They do not. Mm. That whole division at MetLife is now part of another company and I don't even know if they have. And it went poof. But it was something that I was so proud of at MetLife because it was like an in-house nonprofit. Wait for it. Think tank. Think tank. Yeah, that they just thought about how to be helpful and how to guide the corporate actions at MetLife to create solutions solutions in the insurance world to go fix these problems. They conducted a study. The whole purpose of this diatribe is they conducted a study, and I don't remember the exact statistic, but it was somewhere around 50 to 60% of primary caregivers predecease the people they're caring for. So when we look at longevity, when we look at getting older and growing older together, Amy and I and you and Beth are all celebrating our 25th wedding anniversaries this year. And some of the conversations that Amy and I are starting to have as we're watching our parents age is we're having this conversation about longevity, about living a long time and what we want our lives to look like down the road and what do we need to be doing today as 50-year-olds to best prepare for that, to best plan for that. So when I spend 10 years working for MetLife and we've got this whole care conversation and this whole what do we want our lady years to look like, and I remember these statistics that half of all people who are caregivers die before the people they're caring for just tells me that whatever it is Amy and I want for our future going forward, self-care has got to be built into that if either one of us has a shot of being able to help the other down the road when we're older. This idea that we're not wired for self-care. We've got a lot to talk about with that as it relates to risk in the market and as it relates to specifically a risk I want to bring into the room today. I already said the word, but specifically longevity risk. We've talked about a number of risks. We've talked about market risk. We've talked about interest rate risk, inflation risk. We've talked about health risk. We had David in studio for two sessions talking about mental health risk. Today, I want to talk about longevity risk. That's a hard concept to get your head around if you're 30, 40, 50, Even fi- It's hard for me to get my head around it, sure. Because it's just so far out there. It's so far. Well, so let's first define longevity risk. What is longevity risk? Would you like to take a shot at defining that for us? For It's simple to me. It's living too long. It's outliving your money. Yeah. Right? You live longer than your money does. In the money sense, yeah. But then it's also outliving everybody else. Right. It's outliving... Being the last one in the room. Your peers. Yeah. It's outliving your friends. It's outliving family members. I've, I've watched this now a few times in my life, both with family and with clients and family, you know, parents and grandparents of, of dear friends. Well, and that's why, that's why I want to talk about it, because you're right. Longevity risk is one of those risks that, as I observed our industry for as many years as I did, 
I didn't hear the conversation being had as often as I think it should, mostly because of that wanna, reason. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. It's far away. I don't need to talk about it. It, The idea of putting myself in a place where I feel what it will feel like to be at that point in my life is just it's, – it's hard to connect those dots. However, we do have some of the benefit of, of foresight. What I'm observing in my own grandmother's life now and even more so what you're observing and experiencing with your mom and dad puts you smack dab in the center of somebody who is being affected by longevity risk. No, it's not directly affecting you from a standpoint of you're not in your 80s or 90s or 100s and you're not personally. Some days I feel like it. Well, (laughs) as as a result of being connected to people who are there and your parents. So in this conversation today, just having a conversation with you today about longevity risk, your experience with it, your parents' experience with it, and perhaps some ways that you've planned for it, your parents have planned for it, ways that if we could rewind the clock, we would plan differently for it. I mean, these are all the different things I want to get into a little bit in the next episode or so, is just diving into this concept of longevity risk, living under the illusion that it's so far away, I don't have to deal with it yet. But if you're anything like you or me, and you have a parent in their 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s, then longevity risk is absolutely something that is going to affect your life to your core, it, it, as you've experienced. It goes in the immediate category, well, that, that's not going to apply to me. I mean, for, for all the years I've been doing this, the majority of new clients that come in that are between 55 and 65, right? When we get into the financial planning aspect of what we do and we start modeling out scenarios, probably 15 years ago they were at 90. And then maybe 7 or 10 years ago they were 95. Meaning you used to model life expectancy. Model model life expectancy and and trying to make the money last. Until 90. Until 90. And then we bumped it to 95. And now you and I just, you know, uniformly agree that we bump it to 100. Right, right. Because there's plenty of there's plenty of science and and predictive science to say that with advancements in healthcare, that centigenarians are going to be dime a dozen, dime a dozen, sure. in the next decade. Yeah, I can't cite the statistic, but I distinctly remember reading this recently that by 2025, the fastest growing segment of the U.S. population is going to be 85 and older, mm-hmm. and at that time there are going to be more eighty-five, more people eighty-five and above, than eighteen and below. Wow! So if the fastest segment of the population is eighty-five plus, the probability is you will be impacted. It, absolutely. Whether it is directly or indirectly, you will be impacted by somebody in your family living an extraordinary long period of time. Well, and this I could is tell why sto- we're having these conversations today. Yeah, and I could tell stories for days of people that are prepared, to some degree. And then people that are, they're out of money and they're 82. It's not something that people plan for. It's still very difficult when a 62-year-old couple comes in and we run these scenarios out to 95 or 100 and they, and, oh, yeah, no, Jim, come on. There's no way I'm living to 95. Sure. And then I go, why don't you tell me about your parents? Oh, Bob's mother? She's unbelievable. She's 94. She still lives alone. Oh, actually, I'm thinking of a specific client whose father was 97 Still lived outside of New Orleans, 
on the home my 70-year-old client grew up in, mowed his own lawn, did his own grocery shopping, lived independently at 97 years old, and yet my client was like, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to make it there. Now, that specific client had something that very few of our clients had. What's that? A pension. Ah, that helps. And for those of you that don't know what a pension is, it is simply lifetime income. So it is a, it's, a, it's a series of income, right? It's a paycheck you can't outlive. Yeah, it's like Social Security, only it comes from the company you once worked for instead of the federal government. Right. So longevity risk is just one of those things where nobody wants to talk about it, but it, it's – in a, in a different way from inflation, it's it's a silent killer. It's a silent partner. So what is the risk? If I'm exposed to this thing called longevity risk, what does that mean I'm exposed to? What is the risk that I'm actually exposed to? Living longer than you'd like. Tell me more about that. My dad recently turned 96 years old. If he were on this podcast today, he would very candidly say he's lived too long. Not in the money sense, but in the physical sense of what he can do and what he can't do. And that in terms of travel, in terms of activities, in terms of uh, peers, I mean, the guys had to reload his friends over the last 20 years several times. He's outlived them all. Hmm. Of friends that I've known of his for 30 and 40 years, there's, there's two left. And God bless him. He's done a, a – since moving into an independent living community four years ago, he's made new friends, and some of them have passed on, and he's made new friends. And so it's this new muscle that he has of he's making, making new making friends, friends at 93 and 4 and 5 and 6 years old. Yeah. The loss that he feels in terms of being able to do the, his favorite things with his favorite people in his favorite places – that's where the that's the hardest part. Of, that's the risk for that's him. That's the risk. Yeah. So he's lost the ability to play golf with you, go to Syracuse basketball games, travel to the desert, go to all his favorite places, doing right. all his favorite things, right. eating at his favorite restaurants. Right. That's and that's the risk. That's that, what he's lost. Th- those have all been eliminated through no choice of his own, and he still has a spirit about him, as does my mother. God bless her. I think that's one of the reasons they're still around is they have never considered themselves to be old. Hmm. They have a mindset that is not their chronological age. I remember when we were looking at this community and they take you on a tour and we're, we're kind of wrapping up and this is about five years ago. And we're in the lobby area making our way out. And I said, so mom, what do you think? And she's shaking her head. She's shaking her head back and forth. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. She's like, everybody here is old. (laughs) That's funny. And I asked my dad a little bit later the same question. I said, so, you know, what did you, what do you think? He said, well, we probably should have moved here. Always the practical engineer, right? We probably should have moved here a few years ago, but your, your mom wasn't ready. But my observation is here is that everybody's pretty old. This mindset that they have, I think, is part of the reason they're still here. The flip side of the coin is that now physically, they just they can't do very much. Well, you just you just said something that really fascinated me. Your dad at 93, 94, 95 years old has figured something out to combat longevity risk. Whether he's aware of it or not, what he's doing to combat the emotional side of longevity risk, which is outliving everybody he cares for, is what David was here talking about for two episodes. 
Yeah, connection. Connection. Your dad has intuitively figured out somehow, or maybe not. Maybe this is very intentional. Correct me if I'm wrong. I would certainly love to give him credit for it being intentional, but I, I would say it's more accidental. Okay. Like during... Well, I'm going to call it intuitive. During Not accidental. I'm going to call it intuitive. There's oh, something he, in him that yeah, just knows. What's been so incredible to watch the last 30 years is actually how intuitive my dad is. Yeah. He's not aware of his intuition. But for instance, in the throes of the isolation, they were locked down in their individual apartments. My mom was locked down in her individual room in the skilled nursing facility, like not allowed to leave the room. 500 yards away from your dad in the same facility and couldn't see him for how long? A year. (laughs) 55 years of marriage, and they went an entire year with no holidays, no no anniversary, nothing together. So the, the lockdown, food was delivered in, in my dad's case, in styrofoam to-go thingies, to-go packages. Yeah. Uh, was brought to a tray, left on, there's a little kind of shelf outside the apartment door. You didn't tell me you guys took a tour of the Auburn State Penitentiary. Mm-hmm. And it was left there, uh, and they would knock on the door three times, and that's how he knew the food was there. And he'd open it. The person was gone, right, because the risk of seeing another human being. What he did intuitively to kind of keep himself busy, and my dad's not a super social person. The social side of the fence was always mom. And you have a directory. You have, you know, you have a community directory. Is he would get the directory out, and he made it a point to call one person a day. And I, I mean, I was blown away by this. That was never my dad. So in the, in the spirit of can you evolve, yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. Under the most dire of circumstances, you can evolve. And he would reach out to whether it was a friend, whether it was I mean, a friend in the sense of somebody that he had regular contact with or you know, they had, they had table assignments in terms of where they would eat, or he would just call one of the neighbors up and down the hall and just check in. Or, you know, the friends that he still has, he would call our, his one friend Sal in the desert or he'd call his good friend Jack or his other good friend John. That blew my mind in, in the sense that he figured out a way to be able to get some connection when all other avenues for the connection were cut off. Mm-hmm. Where I'm trying to go with this and, and what I'm trying to gain from what you're saying right now is I'm trying to figure out how can somebody emotionally prepare for longevity risk? Because we're, we'll talk about how to financially prepare for it because, you know, you and I do that in our sleep with what we do for work. I, and we're going to talk about that. But from an emotional preparedness standpoint, your dad is not doing something that he necessarily prepared for or planned for in advance, yet he's giving us the path to prepare and plan for the emotional fallout that comes with longevity risk. I think it is whether in, in, the, in the context of our messaging, it's an intentionality. Yeah. It's an intentionality, I think, around two things. One, stay open-minded. Whether my dad did it intentionally or not, he stayed open-minded, right? Open-minded to what? Open-minded. To anything. To anything. Any possibility. Whether it's a new hobby, whether it's a new way of communicating. I mean, as I, as I opened the show with gratitude on, <laughs> right. on you know, what's cooking good looking, right. that was on, an, on an, a modern today iPhone. My father went to a one-room country school. My father had an outhouse. He had no plumbing in the house. Right. They had a well. 
And he's using an iPhone today. And he's using an iPhone today. You got to stay open-minded. Mm-hmm. You got to be willing to push through the resistance of what's uncomfortable. Is it uncomfortable for him to learn how to use this technology? Yeah, but the joy that I see in him when we FaceTime with my kids and he lights up like a Christmas tree and my mother lights up like a Christmas tree, open-mindedness is a big part of it. And then we're going to beat this drum till kingdom come on connection. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's intentionally or unintentionally cut off, I mean, in in the context of COVID, it was cut off. He somehow figured out a way to stay connected. Technology. Technology. Just like the way you and I did. The old Graham Bell picking up the telephone yep. and reaching out. In March of 2020, you and I made a decision that there, you know, our, our practice, our business, our lives is all built on intimate in-person relationships. And there was no way that we could let that just end. That couldn't just stop because of what was happening in the world that was outside of our control. So you what did we do about it? You and I made a decision that we were going to pivot to continue having these intimate connections with people, leveraging technology, whatever we needed to do to learn how to do that. It's what our podcast was born out of. However you and I need to protect our ability to connect with people, we're going to do it. Just like the way you've talked about protecting my confidence, protecting your confidence. There are certain there are certain key principles certain key components to life that we are going to go down. We're burning the boats at the beach. There's no plan B. There's no other option. Connection is the key. Connection is the key to dealing with the emotional side of longevity risk. I loved, loved, loved how David talked about the concept of the handwritten note and the note that he received from a young, a young girl, Natalie who connected at a heart level with him because we live in a time and an era of speed. Everything's fast. How fast can I do this? And what happens, and you and I have, again, we're broken records. We don't have any new material. We're just recycling everything, is we have to slow down to go faster. That's a heady concept, I realize. And he talked about the level of connection that he had with Natalie on a handwritten note. That level of connection is so unique today. Like, what happens? So when you go out and you get the mail, there are two things I hope for when I get the mail. Take, do you have any guesses what those are? Sweepstakes. Sure. And a handwritten note. Exactly. Is Ed McMahon a and a check handwritten note. Right. And a handwritten note. Now, I'm 52 years old, and I don't think that's happened 52 times in my life. It probably has. Maybe on the birthday and such. But the power of the handwritten note is a lost art because we live in such a time and place when things are so fast that I'm just, you know what, I'm just going to send a text. And I'm, I'm as guilty of it as, as, as ever. And as recently as yesterday, we were on the phone with our daughter reminding her of some lovely experiences that she was just, you know, afforded and that how are, how are the thank you notes coming along? <laughs> Hey, I'm grandpa when I start talking to her like that, but screw it. Sure. It, it's, it stands out. Yeah. It stands out amongst, uh, among all the noise, among, amongst. Either. They the, both sound good. The noise. Yeah. And yet in the context of what we're talking about here is a handwritten note is a wonderful way to connect with, with someone. Absolutely. And, and an incredible and, and it's, slowing And texting down. is totally good yeah. too, as is a phone call, as is an email, 
as is a video. I, I've also starting to get, as another method of communication, I'm getting audio messages now. It's another form of voicemail. It is. Yeah. I'm also trying to, when I leave a voicemail for someone, yeah. I'm, I'm giving, I'm starting like I had a, a phone call with a sprinkler repair guy on the way up here. I had a message from him. And I replied back, super, he's a super busy guy. He's just, he's, this time of year, he's going 100 miles an hour, seven days a week. I'm like, Rick, we don't have to actually speak. You can leave me a very long, detailed message on the situation and how I need to redirect all my water to Matthew's deck, and we'll figure that out. Exactly. Right? So I know we're off on a little diatribe here, as we often do. But that, that longevity in terms of how do you prepare for it? Emotionally, we're uh, going to get into the money side, but emotionally, emotionally, you got to stay open-minded, and you got to keep developing that connection muscle. Yep, we've talked a lot about the emotional side of longevity risk and the toll that that's taken. How to prepare a little bit for that? Obviously, connection is the key. Let's push pause today because that, in of itself, is going to take some time to digest. Yeah, that's a big meal. It's a big one there's still an entire financial side to this conversation that we need to have. Really? About how longevity risk... Oh, it's going to... Ho- just hope. Just hope it works out okay. Hope? Oh, we should... So just buy, hold, and hope our way through longevity risk? That's what we were trained to do. I think we got some better ideas. Ah. On the next episode, we're going to get into the financial implications to longevity risk and how best to be prepared to kick its butt. And with that, ladies and gentlemen that's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.